We've been traveling through the Gospel of John for many weeks. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Lazarus and how God raised Lazarus from the dead. Last Sunday, the theme was one man for the nation. It is prophesied by the high priest Caiaphas that it would be better for one man to die for the people than that the whole nation would perish. Think about what he said. It was better for us today in this room if one man would die for the people. Then we would all have to die. Last week we talked about Jesus going to Bethany outside of Jerusalem. He went there to visit Mary and Martha and resurrected Lazarus. And it was in that scene that Mary anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. Does she know? I often read and I wonder, did she know what she was doing? Did she know that this anointing wasn't just an act of worship, but it was an act of preparing his body for the burial that would take place on Friday, the following Friday? John 12, verse 7, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Well, there was criticism for her to spend such an expensive perfume on Jesus. It was criticizing her as wasteful, leave her alone, Jesus said. She did this in preparation for my burial. Now, now I'm not sure what Mary knew or what she didn't know, but Jesus knew. And guess what happens the next day after this anointing of Mary? The triumphant entry. What follows the next scene is the triumphant entry. Jesus goes from being anointed by Mary to walking into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. Jesus knew that his time had come. And he knew what this coming week was going to hold for him. He knew what this week was going to hold for all mankind. Caiaphas, the high priest, had even prophesied it without maybe his even knowing what he was saying. It would be better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation perish. Jesus knows. He knows. I'm not sure who else knows what, but he knows. Verse 12, John chapter 12. The next day, after Mary's anointing of Jesus, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. He's on his way to Jerusalem from Bethany where he visited a resurrected man named Lazarus, and he's been anointed with the perfume for his funeral on his way to Jerusalem to die. But before he would die, he knows. But before he would die, he would be king. They're going to worship him. Nothing could stop this day from happening. Before he would suffer, he would be glorified. John specifically records that there was a very large crowd in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Passover. It's the Jewish celebration. They're coming from all over the world for Passover. 
Do you think Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem during the preparation of Passover was a coincidence? You see, God was putting together a series of events that would glorify his son as he then moved toward the cross. Palm branches, Hosanna. What did that really mean? They put palm branches on the ground. They shouted a word, Hosanna. What did it mean? Did they even know what it meant? Palm branches were used to honor a victorious king who was returning from battle. You could see generations before King David coming into the city of Jerusalem with his army victorious over the Philistines. And they would put down palm branches as an act of worship of their king, honoring their king. But when they said the word Hosanna, it was a phrase that was used by the Jewish priest as they made sacrifices at the Feast of Tabernacles. The word simply means save us. So put it together. And what did it mean? King, save us. Do they understand what's coming out of their mouth? Do they understand what they're saying to this guy coming from Bethany to Jerusalem? King, save us. Save us from what? Save us from who? You see, the idea was that they were under the Roman Empire. They had lost their nation. They had no king. Their king was Caesar. They'd lost their government, their autonomy. Save us. Roman rule. They thought that this was the most important issue of that day. They had this idea that there would perhaps be an earthly king that could come and save them from the Roman Empire and reestablish the nation of Israel. Maybe there would be a man who could sustain our life in the current world order. But what about the world order that's coming? Here's the thing. Even if Jesus delivered them from Roman rule, even if Jesus came into Jerusalem and he actually took his seat on David's throne on that day, there would still be one giant problem. Do you know what it is? It's called death. If Jesus became king in Jerusalem that day, 2,000 years ago, it would not truly save anybody. It would not Hosanna anybody. They would all still die. But I've got some good news today. One day, one day Jesus will be king in Jerusalem. One day, he will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. One day, he will reign as king, not just in Jerusalem. Uh-uh, that's too small. One day, he will reign as king over this whole earth, but not until something happens. You see, when he's walking into Jerusalem that day, they, they worship him as a king with the palm branches and the hosanna but it was not the time for him to be king in Jerusalem. Not yet. There is an enemy that has to be defeated. And it's not about the Roman Empire. This enemy is way larger than the Roman Empire. The enemy is death. Not until death is defeated will he truly have Hosanna to us. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 21, 
Paul says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that would be Adam. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that would be Christ. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised. Then, then, all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, what? The end will come. Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe that it is written in the Bible a series of unstoppable events? Do you believe the Bible in advance has proclaimed in detail those events so that believers will have confidence in Scripture? Let me read it again, verse 23. There is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And then something follows that resurrection. And after that, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, having destroyed every authority, having destroyed every power, for Christ must reign. You see, he's coming into Jerusalem, and they're thinking, this is it. He's coming to Jerusalem to reign. Oh, King, Hosanna us. But there's an enemy that has not been defeated. Not yet, but he will be. The enemy's death. Look at what he says. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is what, church? Death. This is why Jesus entered Jerusalem that Sunday some 2,000 years ago to save us. To save us from our ultimate enemy, death itself. That day, that Palm Sunday, Jesus was putting a series of events into motion that would save the world. Not only the Jews, not only the people in Jerusalem, not only the people in the Middle East, but he would save the entire world. Jesus was opening up a way for mankind to be saved from death itself. To cancel death. To cancel the grave. Can anybody in this room imagine living in a world that there are no graves? That there is no death? That there is no growing old and gray and bald? Some of you really have a hard time imagining that last one. Can you imagine? To cancel death, to cancel the grave forever. You know what it's called? It's called the resurrection. It is called to be born again. Not to be born in the seat of Adam, destined to die. But to be born in the seat of Christ, destined to live forever. And how did this King Jesus enter Jerusalem that day? If you were writing the story, how would this King Jesus enter Jerusalem that day? If I'm writing the story, it's going to be on a white horse and he's calling down angels. But I didn't write the story. He comes riding a donkey. Why in the world would he come riding a donkey? 
John 12, next verse, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. This had been the plan all along. What? That Jesus would be born at just the right time, at just the right place. And he would walk into Jerusalem and he would find the colt of a donkey and he would ride that donkey and they would say, look, our king. Can you, can you understand that this is the plan from the beginning? This is not an afterthought in Genesis this plan, this prophecy, this announcement occurs even in the book of Genesis. It's been the plan since the beginning of man. This has been the plan all along. It's been recorded, prophesied. Do you believe that the writings in this book are unstoppable? That what God has determined in advance, no one, no power in heaven on earth, under the earth, will stop what God has announced in advance. It was prophesied, listen, even to the serpent in the garden. Have you ever thought about it? God prophesies to Satan in the garden of Eden. Genesis 3.14 Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild, and you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I, God, will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the prophecy. And one day, the offspring of a woman will strike your head. God is telling the serpent, one day in the future, the offspring of a woman will strike your head, and but before that, and you will strike his heel. In the Garden of Eden, God told Satan, he's coming. He will enter Jerusalem, he's coming. He will stomp your head. Yes, Satan, you will strike his heel. It's called the cross. But you're the one that won't survive. Jesus is the true king. And he will crush. He will stomp your head. He will bring life to man. He will defeat death by conquering you. Prophesied in Genesis do you know it was also prophesied when Jesus walks into Jerusalem as the king with the Hosanna on a donkey, he is prophesied. He's not just filling some prophecy from Genesis to Satan. The prophet 520 years before Zechariah, 520 years before Jesus is born, Zechariah writes this. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Why a donkey? He's humble. Why not a horse, a white horse and a great 
angelic army. Are you ready? That part is coming. I'll ask you again. Do you believe that everything in this book that has been announced is going to take place exactly on schedule? You see, Zechariah prophesied in 520 B.C., around that date, that there would be a man come to Jerusalem and they would call him king and he would be humble and he would ride on a donkey. And 520-something, whatever years later, it happens. It's unstoppable. Do you believe just because it is written, it is unstoppable? Everything that is written is unstoppable. If you say yes to that, then I'm going to ask you, are you ready for this one? Because there is a time when he's going to come on a white horse. And there is a time when he's going to come on a white horse and there will be the angels following him. How I would have written the first story is how God has written the last story. Revelation 19.11 And then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges. And he is coming to make war. How many people in the church understand that sentence? He's coming on a white horse. And so many people have read the Gospels and they visualize Jesus eternally as the humble man on a donkey. That story's over. The next time he comes to Jerusalem, he will be on a white horse. He will be followed by the angels of heaven. And listen, he comes to make war. I'll read it again. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, and he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title, his name is what, church? His name, his title is the Word of God. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And it has announced in advance a series of events that are going to take place on this present earth. Do you believe it? People look at the history and say, yeah, I believe Jesus walked in Jerusalem called Palm Sunday. They did palm branches, Hosanna. They believe that, but you, he's on a donkey. He won't be on a donkey the next time. He's coming to wage war. Who's he waging war against? Verse 14, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest and pure white linen, they're following him. And what are they on? White horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Why? Why is he striking down the nations? He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's coming. He's coming. Just wait and see. What we don't know is the time. It is written, and it will happen just as it was written. What? He will be King of Kings. He will be Lord of Lords. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Master. What we don't know is the time. Now, back to Jesus' Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. Verse 16. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was fulfillment of prophecy. Now pause. They saw the palm branches. They heard the hosannas. They heard the people call him king, probably to their surprise. Do they understand all this? No, no, they don't. Not yet. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about him. Everything written about him is going to take place. Do you understand it? Do you believe it? This donkey, when he came the first time, this white horse, when he comes the second time, why is it easier for you to accept him on a donkey than it is on a white horse? Do you read the prophecy? Do you read it as unstoppable? And can you see God's plan to save us? God's plan to hosanna us? Some do. That day when Jesus comes to Jerusalem on a donkey, do they see his plan to hosanna them? Some do. Most don't. What about today? Some do. Most don't. John 12, verse 17. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign, this raising of Lazarus. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. There's nothing we can do to stop this plan. They're right. There's nothing they can do to stop this plan that God has put into motion. Many had seen this four-day dead Lazarus event. How do you stop that story? There were many witnesses. How do you stop the story that Jesus raises people from the grave? Many had seen the miracles. They were not done in secret. How do you stop the story? The Pharisees were in a panic because they thought everyone was going to forsake them and go after Jesus. But Friday's coming. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And on Friday, there will be two sides drawn in Jerusalem. One side will stand with Jesus and the other side will stand against Jesus. Some will cry out, crucify him, and others will cry out, Hosanna. It is the same today. Some things have not changed in 2,000 years. There are only two spirits on this earth. Listen, church. There are only two spirits. There is the Holy Spirit and there is the unholy spirit. There is the Spirit of God and there is the Spirit of Satan. And every one of us inhabitants of planet earth belong to one or the other. One side will cry out, Hosanna. Save us. The other side, their life will proclaim, crucify him. Two roads, one that walks toward God and eternal life, and one road that walks away from God and eternal life. Now, up till this time, it's been pretty much a Jewish story in the Gospel of John. 
Jesus is Jewish, the Pharisees are Jewish, and they're all at the temple doing Jewish things. In fact, what? They're preparing for the Passover. But the next verse offers a glimpse for us Gentiles, something new in the story of the Gospel of John. Verse 20, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, these Greeks say to Philip, who's also Jewish, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Now, these Greeks are either Gentiles that are practicing the Jewish law. That'd be one option. They're living as Jews, or they're Jews from Greece, or maybe they're just God-fearing Gentiles who happen to be in Jerusalem during the Passover. I, I don't know. I know this. They come to Philip. Remember the context. They're at the triumphal entry. The whole world looks like it's going to go to Jesus. The whole world looks like they're going to bow to him. And these Greeks, I'll assume for today they're Gentiles. They go to Philip and say, we want to meet Jesus. Do you remember this came up in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John when Jesus told them that he would soon be leaving and they couldn't go where he was going. This came up before. So I want to read that before we figure it out. Verse 35, chapter 7. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? Jesus is talking about the future where he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Where is he planning to go, they ask. Is he thinking of leaving the country or going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Greeks. Now, that's a reference to the Gentiles. Maybe he's going to not just teach Jewish people. He's going to teach Gentiles, too. Regardless of the origin of these Greeks, Philip and Andrew go and tell Jesus that the Greeks want to meet him. And this is Jesus's response. Now I'm going to tell you, I find this really interesting. Jesus, everybody's bowing down and calling you king and they're giving you a hosanna. And by the way, there's some Gentiles, some Greeks that want to meet you. What will Jesus say? Now, if you're a Gentile in the room today, you'd be really interested in what he's going to say. Verse 23. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I'll tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And then he uses a word. I checked multiple translations. It all has the same meaning. And then he says, anyone. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And the Father who honors will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. They're treating him like a king, and it looks like the whole world's going to follow Jesus. Then guess what? The Greeks won't in. The Gentiles won't in. They see there's something about this man. I won't in. 
And then Jesus talks about something. I'm going to guess most of you read over it as I read it. The Greeks won't in. They're bowing to him, calling him king. And Jesus brings up what? Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Do you still want in? I'm asking you. What? The whole world looks like they're running over to Jesus. The Greeks won't in. And Jesus says what? Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. If you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. If you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you'll gain your life. Do you still want in? Well, not if I'm going to lose my life. Do you still want in? Are you sure? See, Jesus announces in that context, in that scene, it is time for him to enter into his glory. It's time for the cross. The kernel of wheat will produce many. But it will not produce anything until it is died and put in the ground. Jesus is the kernel of wheat. Do you still want to follow Jesus after you find out where he's going? It's interesting to me that the Greeks want in. Hey, hey, tell Jesus, we want to meet him. We'd like to meet him. The whole world looks like it's going to go after him. And then Jesus does something that slices the world right down the middle. Are you willing to die for me? Are you willing to deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me? Are you willing to go the way that I go? Because I go to the cross. There's glory, yes, but the glory's on the other side of the cross. Do you still want to follow me? Not if I got to die. Will the whole world still want to follow him when he reveals this whole losing your life thing? Do you think this was easy for Jesus? The Bible in the book of Hebrews says he was like God made his son like us in every way so that he could be a faultless high priest. Do you think this was easy? Do you think it's going to be easy? Do you think it's natural for you to give up your life? Do you think it's natural for you to deny yourself, take up a cross and follow this mysterious man of 2,000 years ago? Do you think it's going to be easy for you? Was it easy for him? Let's look. Next verse, verse 27. Jesus, in that context, says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Why? You know why. He's troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven. What? God, the Father, is about to speak. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. Jesus sees clearly that the suffering that lies ahead of him on his way to the cross, his soul is deeply troubled. Have you ever noticed, because I have, that when people come in invitation time, I was one of those people years ago who come to Christ to be receive Christ as Lord and Savior, drawn by the Holy Spirit. Why are most of them crying? Why are most of them weeping? Why are most of them have snot coming out of their nose? Is it cause an allergy? Why? Your soul is deeply troubled. Something inside of you is turning inside out. You see your mortality. 
you see in front of you a grave. But you see in front of you a man standing on the other side of that grave who says, follow me. Follow me. Troubled, yes. Jesus said, my soul is deeply troubled. But then he says, this is the very reason I came to the earth, to bring glory to the Father by the submission and obedience of the Son. It's at this very moment, it's at this very moment that something big happens. It doesn't happen very many times in the Bible. God speaks, the Father speaks audibly from heaven while Jesus is on the earth. This is recorded to have happened audibly speaking. God the Father speaking to the earth while Jesus is on the earth. It happens two other times in the Gospel of Matthew. Once is at Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist puts him under the water. He comes up and what? The heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends. God speaks. This is my beloved son. The second time is at the transfiguration of Jesus, perhaps one year before this Palm Sunday event. And again, what happens? God the Father speaks, this is my son. And I'm going to ask you a question today. Will everyone hear and understand the audible voice of God from heaven? God has spoken into a crowd, into a great crowd of witnesses in Jerusalem. Will everyone hear and will everybody understand? Does everyone acknowledge that God has just spoken? Next verse. When the crowd heard the voice. So they heard it, right? When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. While others declared an angel had spoken to them. Spoken to him, excuse me. So who was this audible voice of God the Father for? Was he talking to Jesus or was he talking to the crowd? It specifically said that the crowds heard the voice. Who was it for? Next verse, verse 30. Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up on the earth, lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Jesus already knew that he was he knew who he was. He's the Son of God. He already knew that his time had come. And he knew the cross was going to happen. Jesus already knew. But the crowds, they didn't know. Jesus knew. But they didn't know. So the voice was for the benefit of the crowd that had asked Jesus for a miraculous sign. It is in this scene that in this context that Jesus communicates three things. Three things to the crowd. Three things to all humanity. The first, Jesus said, the time for judging the world has come. Did you notice? It is in the context of God's audible voice communicating to the earth. Jesus' response to that voice, the time for God to judge the earth has come. Number two, Satan, the current ruler of this world, is going to be cast out. And number three, Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross and that he will draw everyone to himself. 
He knows all three. But you know who doesn't know all three? The crowd. They don't know. Do you know? Do you know those three things? Jesus revealed to the crowds that he was going to die on the cross. He's going to be lifted up. Jesus had revealed this to Nicodemus in Jerusalem three years earlier. Let me read it to you. John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believeth believes in him will have eternal life. And here they are, some three years later, and guess what? It's time. Three years later, he's entered Jerusalem on a donkey. It's time. God speaks from heaven. It's time. Time for what? Time to be lifted up. So did they get it? I told you all that to ask this question. So did they get it? There's a lot of signs all around them. Surely people are getting it, right? No. Did the Greeks get it? Did the Jews get it? Did the Pharisees get it? Do you get it? There's signs everywhere. Do you get it? Do you think just because there's signs in the heavens that everybody's going to get it? Some people can hear the voice of God from heaven and still not get it. Everybody listen to what I'm about to say. Some people can hear the voice of God from heaven and still not get it. That's demonstrated by what happened in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And some people will be confronted by the very word of God today and they will not get it. And that's the truth. See, I believe this is the word of God. And if you're willing to bet your soul against that, it's on you, it's not on me. I believe this is the Word of God. And some people, even today, have encountered the Word of God and rejected it. Or refused to encounter the Word of God by never putting yourself in context of this, in contact with this Word. Crucify Him. Oh, I would never say that. Crucify Him. You're either going to Hosanna Him or you're going to crucify Him. It's amazing to me that in Jerusalem, in the context of multiple signs and wonders, dead people are coming out of the graves. God speaks from heaven, audible voice. On Sunday and on Friday, they put him on a cross. Aren't you curious if they got it? Next verse, verse 34. The crowd responded, we understood from the scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? They have no idea that he's standing in front of them. Just who is this Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Here comes, here comes the reason for today's sermon. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. And then you will become children of the light. 
After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. There it is. Jesus has entered Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, and he tells them that he's going to do it. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to the cross. But do they believe him? Do you? Who are you, Jesus? The scriptures say that the Son of Man will live forever. So how can you say that he will die? Who are you, Jesus? Jesus' answer is, I am the light, and my light is going to be leaving soon. And then he says, I am the light, and my light is going to be leaving soon. And you must walk in the light while there is still time. Are you listening? Did they listen? There is a darkness that can and will overtake you. Walk in the light. Put your trust in the light while there is time. Become children of the light while there is time. Children of the light are not going to be caught off guard when Jesus comes the next time. Children of the light will not be caught off guard when he comes the next time. How do I know? Because I believe the Bible is the word of God and everything written is going to happen exactly as it is written. Paul writes the church in 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. He says, now, concerning how and when all this will happen. What's the all this? When's he coming? Concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a what? Like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be what? No escape. But you aren't in the dark. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. But he says something. Listen, listen, listen. He says, but you aren't in the dark. There's a group of people who won't be in the dark. There are some that will be in the dark. And there's a group of people who won't be in the dark. Some will be crying Hosanna and others mm, crucify him. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief to those in the dark. For you are all children of the light. And of the day, we don't belong to the darkness and the night. And then Jesus disappears into the crowd. While there is time. I read a daily devotional from Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan Kahn is a messianic Jew. Dr. David Reagan calls him a prophet in these last days. I would agree with David Reagan. It was day 52 inside of that 365-day devotional that I read something months ago, by the way. Do you know what days are seen as the holiest days in the Jewish calendar? This is what I read from this Messianic Jewish guy. Do you know what days are seen as the most holy days in the Jewish calendar? I've got a calendar I want to put up on the screen here. Actually, this is a calendar I get from a friend in Israel. Tishri 1, 
to Tishri 10. At September 21st to September 30th this year, 2017. Do you know these are the most holy days on the Jewish calendar every year? Not just 2017. Every year, these are considered the most holy days on the Jewish calendar. There are, they are 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. The 10 most holy days in the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Trumpets the Day of Atonement. You've heard the term Yom Kippur. That's the Day of Atonement. They are called the Days of Repentance. The countdown to the Day of Atonement are the Days of Repentance. Walk in the light while there is time. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is linked to the sealing of one's eternal destiny. I want to say it again. In the Jewish culture, this day, is linked to the sealing of your eternity. They consider this day equal to judgment day because it is on that day that your eternity is sealed by whether or not you have been atoned for or not, whether your sins have been forgiven or not. Ten holy days. Do you know what the Jews call them in Hebrew? I probably mess it up. It says Yamin Norim. Translated, those 10 days are called the days of awe or the awesome days. Why are they awesome days? Because 10 days lead up to judgment day. Walk in the light while there is time. Those 10 days reveal this. Listen. You do not have forever to walk in the light. The time and opportunity is limited to walk in the light. You don't have forever to repent. The time is limited for you to repent. You don't have forever to be made right with God. And judgment day is coming. There are only a few days before everything is sealed for all eternity. These are the awesome days, the days of all. The Jewish culture revere these ten days as the holiest days in the Jewish calendar. During these ten days, the Jews are required to do everything they can to make things right with God. Everything they can to be made right with their fellow man. To forgive and be forgiven. To repent and write everything that was wronged. And you have to do all of it before the sun sets on the 29th. Because the Jews start their day at sunset. Not like we do. This year's Yom Kippur begins when the sun sets on September 29th. 19 days from today. Listen carefully. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur begins 19 days from today as the sun sets on September 29th while there is time. That's what Jesus said that day in Jerusalem on his way to the cross. I didn't say it. He said it. While there is time, walk in the light. While there is time. That's what Jesus said after God the Father spoke audibly from heaven. I don't think they're casual words. While there is time, walk in the light. 
while there is time. That's what Jesus said to the crowds that looked for a king to hosanna them, a king to save them. And what do you think the Day of Atonement is? What do you think Yom Kippur is? What do you think that day means to Jewish people and to Christians? Do you understand the Day of Atonement? Jesus is the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would offer the blood sacrifice on the altar of God to atone for, to pay for the sins of the nation for one year. Next year, on the next year's Day of Atonement, he'd have to go back in and do it all over again. And every year they had to do it over again. And that, that atonement held back Judgment Day. That atonement held back the wrath of God for one calendar, Jewish calendar year. And next year you had to do it again. And here comes Jesus into Jerusalem on a donkey. And God speaks from heaven and Jesus walks to the cross. And do you understand what he did on the cross in the sixth hour? He died. And when he died, the veil of the Jerusalem temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And our high priest, Jesus the Messiah, made the last sacrifice, the last atoning sacrifice for the sins, not just of Israel, the sins of the world was offered on that day of atonement. He is our Yom Kippur. Now, with all of that, I want to repeat verses 35 and 36. Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you'll become children of the light. And after saying these things, he departed. Now to bring all of that into today's context, here we go. Unless you've been living in a cave that doesn't have a satellite dish for the last month, You've probably seen the videos and the predictions regarding the alignment of the constellations and the planets that will take place on, of all dates, September 23rd. Keep the calendar up there. Many suggest this alignment of the stars and planets are the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 12. If you today don't know what that means, Revelation chapter 12, I'll give you the brief version. Revelation 12 says there is a strange event in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now I want to tell you, I've watched the video. I've studied the video. I, I do not study the stars, I confess. I do not study the stars or anything about the stars. I've been 20 years studying the one who made the stars but not the stars themselves. But the people who have studied them make a pretty convincing argument that that Revelation 12 scripture could be fulfilled in the heavens, specifically on the 23rd of September. Honestly, I don't really know what that particular event means. One thing is clear. There's a piece of software that is developed by people who do study the stars called Stellarium. 
And Stellarium Software says this particular alignment has never occurred before and it will never occur again. It singularly will occur on September 23rd. Now that in itself wouldn't do anything to me, wouldn't mean anything perhaps to me until you put it in context with the events that surround it. That September 23rd alignment takes place seven days before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Jewish Judgment Day. It takes place two days after the Feast of Trumpets. Seven days before the Day of Atonement. Two days after the Feast of Trumpets. The August 21st eclipse that we all stood outside and watched took place, listen to me, 40 days before the Day of Atonement. 40 days before the Day of Atonement. 40 days before what the Jews call Judgment Day. Now, 40 days is a significant number in the Bible. 40 days and 40 nights was the, how much it rained for the flood of Noah. 40 days and 40 nights before Judgment Day came upon the earth. Do you know how many days God told Noah to get in the boat before it started to rain? Seven. The September 23rd alignment takes place seven days before the Day of Atonement. Forty days. Okay, it rained for 40 days. That's interesting, Terry. There's more. When Moses ascended to the mountain of God and encountered God, he was with God for 40 days. Doing what? Well, you would say he received the law, he received the commandments, yes, but doing what was Moses? Deuteronomy 9.18. Then, as before, Moses said, I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and nights. I ate no bread and I drank no water because of the great sin you people of Israel had committed by doing what the Lord hated, provoking him to anger. I feared that the furious anger of the Lord which turned him against you, would drive him to destroy you. But again, he listened to me. Forty days, Moses interceded in the presence of God for the people of Israel. Moses is a preview of the Messiah. In fact, this Moses interceded and judgment day for Israel was stopped. He did not destroy them as he had planned. Forty days. Maybe even more significant to this church, to Nineveh, would be a story of Jonah. God calls a man named Jonah and tells him to go to a city, a great city, a great Gentile city called Nineveh. And what did he tell Jonah to tell Nineveh? Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. This September 23rd heavenly event will take place 33 days after the total solar eclipse passed across America. And by the way, there's going to be another total solar eclipse passing across America in seven years. Walk in the light while there is still time. The solar eclipse of August 21st began 
on the west coast, the first major city to encounter the eclipse was Salem, Oregon, drawing its name from Jerusalem. Now that in itself, you might say, might be a coincidence. It happened at 9.05 a.m. in Salem, Oregon. Jerusalem is 10 hours ahead of Oregon, and the sun was setting in Jerusalem at the exact same minute that it was eclipsing in Salem, Oregon. Coincidence? One week after the August 21st eclipse, Hurricane Harvey hit Texas. Many had said that the solar eclipse to the Gentile world is a sign of judgment. Many of the signs that the Jewish people associate with God are lunar, but the solar eclipses have been associated with Gentile judgment. Was the solar eclipse a sign of the judgment of God? It traveled across much of the earth, this eclipse, but it only covered one unique country totally, America. One week later, there's 52 inches of rain in Texas. Never before has anyone measured such an event. Coincidence? Today, as we speak, Hurricane Irma is entering Florida. Massive destruction. Behind Irma is Josie. Just a few days ago, one of the largest earthquakes in Mexico history took place in southern Mexico. They're still finding the dead. Coincidence? Jesus told us in advance what it would be like before he returned. I'm going to ask you again, do you believe the Bible? You know, I grow weary, I'm going to be honest, I grow weary of Christians that do not believe the Word of God. I grow weary. I grow weary at the number of people who come to church and do not believe the Bible to be of God. If it weren't from this book, you wouldn't even have a clue who Jesus is. Or do you just think all this is coincidence or maybe the result of global warming and we can make a few laws by certain people and they'll now control the oceans? Well, if they can, why don't they just jump out there and stop this one? Maybe you think the United Nations will be able to save us or they'll call out the National Guard and they can save us. No one can save us except Jesus. And here's what he said is going to happen before he comes again. Luke 21. And there will be, not maybe, there will be strange signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. On top of all of this, we have North Korea and Iran with nuclear weapons fulfilling the prophecy of wars and rumors of wars. I'm going to tell you, listen. Please listen carefully. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know what all this means. But I know this. I know this. Jesus is coming. The only thing I don't know is when. 
Jesus is coming. And the children of the day will not be caught off guard because the Bible promised that the children of the day will not be caught off guard like a thief in the night. He promised us. They will not be living in the darkness. They will not be in unrepentant sin. They will not because the light pierces the darkness. Everything is pointing to the return of Christ. And let me give you some present examples. This year, 2017, has some pretty remarkable displays of God's providence. Let me just give you a few. 2017 is 100 years since the Balfour, Balfour Declaration, where British, which was ruling over the Middle East, issued a letter declaring their plan for Israel to have a sovereign state in Palestine. A hundred years ago this year. 2017 is 70 years since the United Nations resolution declaring Israel to be a sovereign state after 2,000 years fulfilling hundreds of biblical prophecies. 2017 is 50 years since Israel recaptured Jerusalem in the 1967 Six-Day War. When Jesus entered Jerusalem that last time, the gospel says, you will not see me again until. He didn't say you won't see me again. He's talking to the Jews. He says, you will not see me again until you cry, Baruch HaBabashim Adonai, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will see him again, but you would have to be regathered. You would have to be back in Israel, and you would have to have Jerusalem because that's where he's coming to. And now they're regathered, and now there's a nation, and now they have Jerusalem. Baruch HaBabashim Adonai. Many biblical scholars have suggested that the rapture of the church will occur in the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know if it will or not, but I'm going to tell you it's a compelling argument. Why? The Feast of Trumpets takes place on the 21st. Pull the calendar back up. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Many biblical scholars have associated the Feast of Trumpets to the rapture of the church. And I want to tell you why. Listen carefully. When God encountered Moses on the mountain, he gave Moses seven Jewish feasts. I'm going to give you the short version. The word feast means divine appointment in Hebrew. There are spring feasts and there are fall feasts. All of them were given to Moses by God on the mountain. And the Jews still practice them to this day. The first feast in the spring is what? Passover. They are going to Jerusalem in our story today for the Passover. Jesus died on Passover. Listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of all seven Jewish feasts. He died on Passover. You know what the second Jewish feast is? Unleavened bread. Jesus was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. Coincidence? No. You know what the third feast is? First fruits. Jesus resurrected from the grave on the feast of first fruits. You know what the fourth Jewish feast is in the spring? Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of Christ returns to the earth in the form of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Jewish feasts, but there are seven 
the spring feast or followed by the fall feast. I believe that right now we stand in the middle of the spring feast and the fall feast called the church age, the time of the Gentiles, the time of the great harvest. Souls are being harvested. They've been harvested from the day of Pentecost until the next feast called the day of trumpets. It will take place on the 21st of this month. I am not saying this is the date of the rapture of the church. I'm not going to say it's not the date of the rapture of the church. I don't know. This is not about a day. If you're listening to me today and what you're hearing is you're looking for a day, you're still not getting it. This is about a man named Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of God. It's about him. It's not about a day. If it were about a day, then for 2,000 years, people been looking for him coming on that day would say, well, he's not going to show, but it's about a man and he will show on the appointed day. I don't know if it's that day or not. But there are three fall feasts, and Jesus will fulfill all three. I believe the Feast of Trumpets is the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians when they will be called up in the air to meet the Lord. The next fall feast is the Day of Atonement, which I believe will be fulfilled when Jesus actually stands on the Mount of Olives and walks into Jerusalem. Baruch haba followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, where he will reign on this present earth for a thousand years in the Jerusalem temple. He is the fulfillment of the feast. And ladies and gentlemen, the Feast of Trumpets is the 21st of this month. Compelling. The Feast of Trumpets is two days before this very curious alignment of the planets and the stars, and ten days before Yom Kippur, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, the days of all. And did I mention that Jesus is Jewish? And if that is not enough to get your attention, there was a very rare solar eclipse 40 days before the Day of Atonement, 40 days before Judgment Day on the Jewish calendar. And right now, today, we are 21 of them have passed, and 19 remain. Well, there is time. How much time do you think we have? I don't know. Don't go out of here today and say, Terry said Jesus is coming on the Feast of Trumpets, because I didn't say that. Well, there is time. I do not know the date of the rapture. I am not setting a date for Jesus' return, but I am without apology going to say this. I proclaim my hope in his coming. I proclaim my hope is in Christ. This is not about a day. It's about a man named Jesus. Verse 36, one more time. Jesus said, put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you'll become the children of the light. What should we do? I preached this sermon to three services today, and I know what people go, what should we do? How should we respond? How should we live? Should we be afraid or excited or both? I'll let Jesus have the final word, because he gives some instruction, Luke 21. 
And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when you see all these things begin to happen, what? Stand and look up, for our salvation is near. While there is still time, what? While we wait, stand and look up. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Stand and look up. Quit looking for somebody else to save you, somebody else to sustain your life. He alone is life. Look up. Call upon his name. He is our Yom Kippur. He is our atonement. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I was watching the news yesterday. And Florida's governor said something that I found to be profound in light of what's hitting Florida right now. He says, after it starts, we can't save you. I'm going to tell you, after it starts, no one can save you. If, you. if you allow your life to pass Yom Kippur without Jesus, there is no atoning of your sin. You will stand before God guilty, unforgiven. You are lost. But right now, today, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ is offered to the kingdoms of men. Has he atoned for you? Would you walk out that door into a darkness of eternity without the atoning blood of Christ? You know the answer. There's only one reason you would do that. You don't believe it. The invitation to Christ is open. Let's stand. Oh, creation.